Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David and Zach. How are you guys doing? Are you sure? I am. What? I was going to say, is he are, sure that I'm here? Are you going to go? Am I going to go? Do I talk first? You talk first? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. How are you doing, Zach, with the new one? Um, I'm not going to lie. My, my wife's pulling my weight on this one. So um, she, she's great. The baby's great. Uh, I'm getting plenty of sleep. My wife's not getting plenty of sleep. I feel bad for her. Um, but you know what? I would say, honey, wake me up. And she's like, nah, it's all right. You can go to sleep. You got to go to work. So it's it's been working out. Um, I haven't played a game of Legion in like a month. So <laughs> that that uh, needs to change. But, you know, that's uh, life with a newborn, I guess. Yeah, so she's dragging your lifeless corpse across the finish line, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. That's how it is with infants, though, in my experience. Um, all right. Well, can, I, I know we said last week, but um, we had Luke on last week, so we kind of jumped straight into that. So uh, allow me to properly congratulate you on number two there. Thank you. Um, wow. You, you went to the... Never mind. I was going to make a bathroom joke and I decided <laughs> it was just... <laughs> all right. So Mike's jokes tonight, in the head, great. Uh, out of mouth, not great. <laughs> we, need, yeah, we, need yeah. a, we need a rim shot drop, Mike. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. We also I, need uh, a laugh track drop, which we discovered in the interview that we're going to have today. Yeah. So I think I was going to say this offcast, but why don't we just say it now? Uh, why don't you guys just put me and listeners too? Hey, what the heck? Um, give me a list of drops you want by like Friday, and I'm just going to do them all this weekend. There you go. I think we need. I think we need a housekeeping drop. Housekeeping. Um, and uh, you know some some laugh tracks or something i don't know if you remember the film tommy boy please email us at the fifth trooper <laughs> because i i'm curious to, to, to know how many members of our audience remember that movie i've got no idea what you guys are talking about so it's where that i'm where dating that myself from. apparently yeah. wait, wait, i can't tell if you're serious or if you're being sarcastic mike i don't watch movies unless they're star wars movies for the most part so you've never seen or- tommy boy I don't know what that is. Exactly. I was I was a caddy in uh, in junior high school, and um, that was literally the only movie that was in our caddy shack. So uh, I've seen that movie a lot. <laughs> I don't know why we couldn't like have someone bring some random other movie from home, or like or like Caddy Shack. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. That seems like appropriate. Like, uh, yeah. Named yeah. after your where you are so it makes more sense to bring that one it was a well-used copy of tommy boy um all right anyway this show is not about tommy boy uh but we do have a housekeeping section housekeeping um (laughs) you know what screw it we're just gonna have kyle do all the drops live (laughs) that's the new plan there you go i can try that today um no the the honest trailer guy that says stuff is much better than me um but yeah, housekeeping. Uh, so we do have a Patreon, which we've had for a while. Um, uh, we also now have, there's a podcast, a Patreon-only podcast that Jay and Evan are doing where they talk about Legion called Jay and Evan After Dark. Um, 
So uh, if you want to check that out, you'd have to subscribe to the Patreon, but we'd also just appreciate um, your Patreon support generally for all the other free stuff that we do, including uh, this show, um, you know, the blog articles, uh, the streaming, all that stuff. Um, so if you'd like to support us, uh, check us out, thefifthtrooper.com, Patreon. Um, yeah, and uh, Jay and Evan are also going to start streaming some live Legion games on Tuesday nights. Uh, which you can check out uh, at 7 o'clock starting tomorrow. And I've been told by Jay that they're going to play things that are weird, lists that are weird. So, And by tomorrow, you mean tonight? Yes, because... sorry. <laughs> I... <laughs> the show will release on Tuesday. Uh, so they are streaming on Tuesday night. That will be tonight by the time you listen to this. Yes. Thank you, Zach. Apparently, Zach has some drag racers on his street or something. No, that wasn't me, but um, okay. I had myself muted. Um, yeah, I was going to say, usually I'm the one that forgets uh, to say things in the future tense, but uh, I had to get you on that one. My bad. Um, all right, we got some news this week. Welcome to In the News. Oh, man, it sounds so much better when Kyle doesn't do it. <laughs> I was about to ask what happened to doing it live. I, I was gonna hear, trying to hear your best like anchorman impression. I was getting ready. News. I was getting ready to do the do 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 form to lead him into it, and then Mike hit the button anyways. Yeah, there nothing, nothing harder than comedy. On top of it. All right. So in the news, we have Arcs and BX droids releasing this Friday. In Mo- everybody's thrilled about that. I'm sure. I'm excited. Uh, I got a. I actually finished. Well, we'll get to that in the hobby talk, but I'm looking for some more droids to paint, so I'm excited. I would like some models I can actually buy because I can't find Phase 2s anywhere. There you go. Well, I hope you well, order, pre-ordered three arcs because you're going to have trouble finding arcs in like two weeks. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's like a funny story because like I pre-ordered three boxes of arcs months ago. And I did it over the messaging system with my local store. And my buddy was going by to buy something the other day. I was like, hey, can you just like make sure they have my name written down in the notebook, like the little black book that says three arc troopers on it. And I'm good guys. Uh, they have me written down for it. Now, whether I get all three is another story, but um, I'm, you know, definitely want to get them while you can. You don't want another phase two uh, situation here. Yo, I'm pumped because everybody's going to be playing my list as opposed to rec star because they can't find phase twos. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Everybody's just gonna be playing Arc Star. It's fantastic. Can't use can't use five phase phase twos. Just use full arcs. There you go. I'm excited to see um, fives in this tattoo model that uh, we've discussed a couple times in the cast, and see how the hard plastic is going to look with like those like facial features, like uh, Anakin Scar and 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 Maul's face, and what we're looking at in the future. Are you gonna uh, put his helmet like next to him, or something? I'm gonna put the helmet on him still because I suck <laughs> at painting faces. So, plus, you know, it's like in combat, right? So, I maybe maybe we can talk about this in the hobby section. But how do you guys paint eyes? Uh, I don't. I use a flush wash. <laughs> very carefully. Yeah, very carefully. So I I do the white first. The whites of the eyes first, and then I do the pupil. And I usually um, mess up one or both of those. So then I will essentially shape the eye afterwards with um, my darkest flesh color. 
by okay. painting around it, if that makes sense. That sounds like close to mine. Basically what I do is I like, I, I put like white in the like well of the eye and then I just paint like a black vertical line over, over the eye. Um, and like even the brow and the cheek, like, cause I'm not good at this at all. And so I just, I fill the well and then I do like a black vertical line and then I fix it up with, um, just flesh tone after that. I don't know. doesn't always work, but yeah, I mean, more or less what I do. The one thing that I've gotten for a tip and I know that we're, we're going to dive into hobby after this, but I guess another thing too, is that everyone thinks that you should use like a smaller brush because it's a smaller space. But everyone that I talk to says to use like a bigger brush, but like use like finer movement with your hand. I don't know how true that is though. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's got more to do with like, how fine the tip is right yeah you can have the smallest brush ever but if the tip is not good it's not gonna matter and the other thing is that like if you're not accurate with the tip it's also not gonna matter gotta be accurate with that tip yeah Mm -hmm. and we just named this episode (laughs) all right let's so we also got a new rg um there were some actually some relevant and interesting updates here. Hang on, let me click on click on the article. Uh, there's this super helpful article up on the fifthtrooper.com that outlines all of the changes for you if you don't want to go through and look for the blue text yourself. So check that out. Uh, yeah. Ironically, this came up for me today as I was list building, and I was thinking about uh, Yavin Base League, uh, which David you'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um, but I was building a list trying to like go around the rulings of Yavin base and I put fives and a clone captain in the same list. And then I was like, wait a minute. I think there was something in the RRG about this. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple things in here that are sort of like quote unquote unresolved things that people still have questions about. Um, that is not super clear and the the how to how to handle casualties with two wound models that are unit leaders is one of them so um still not super sure how that works there are models that individually have two wounds you can put them in units with one wound um if they die and have to replace a model with one wound do they get any wound tokens do you get like a free wound out of it uh nobody knows so um but there were a lot of other relevant updates in here having nothing to do with that one um this was kind of like a uh slightly overdue just new keyword rrg um you know there's a slew of new keywords in here that are from the padme and cad bane release as well as the bx and arc and then inferno the upcoming inferno squad and clan ren uh releases so i think this was mostly to just like dump all those new keywords on us um, but there were a couple, so you can find those, of course, in the RRG keywords like divulge, authoritative, exemplar, ex, uh, bane tokens, etc. Um, but there's a number of, uh, like gray area clarifications in here. Um, for example, I think, uh, a lot of the relevant ones have to do with hostage exchange. Zach, I know these are near and dear to your heart. Um, <laughs> you want to hit those real quick? Sure, Kyle. Um, let me find them here. So 
one of the most important clarifications was um, immune enemy effects. It also applies to setup in round one. Um, there's another there's another spot in the RRG which was um, deploying units. Um, uh, I'm going through your deployment right here. Um, you cannot be placed into or move into base contact during setup. So not only did they clarify this on the hostage card, it's now a like full blown deployment thing where you can't put something base to base during setup. Um, so you can't go into melee with those hostage units during setup, no matter whether you have a scouting party, whether you have infiltrate, um, I think there's a way you can actually do it with Cad Bane tokens, but that's beside the point. Um, so anyways, in Invader League, we kind of ruled it that way. Um, it, it played in our favor. I know in Invader League, we didn't allow Scouting Party uh, to work on Hostage, but it does work uh, raw. And, and we knew that when we ruled it in Invader League, that we knew that we were kind of going against raw. Uh, so Scouting Party raw does work on the Hostage, which is still kind of bananas to me. But, but you, you know but you cannot melee something with it. But you can't melee it, and you can't tie them down. And there, I, I think it's a good clarification. Um, I still think hostage exchange needs some more touch up, but I think that got a lot of it. Yeah, hostage exchange still is a little messy, but it definitely removed a lot of the like potentially possible turn zero shenanigans with hostages. You guys just jelly because you don't play Rex. <laughs> I build every list that I play with Rex. So mm, nice. Um, moving on. Uh, so there's a, the, one of the new keywords in here. I actually want to highlight, and that keyword is duelist. Um, this is on some of the Mandalorians. The reason I want to highlight it is um, if you just read the reminder text, it feels like just a sort of different version of lethal because essentially you can spend an aim and gain pierce one, or you can spend a dodge and gain pierce immune. Um, but there's an important little nuance here is unlike lethal, um, this benefit adds to rather than replacing the normal benefit you get from spending a, a dodge or an aim. So you can spend an aim, roll two dice, and then also still get um, pierce one, or you can spend a dodge, cancel a hit, and then still get pierce immune. Yeah, uh, way better. It's way better, yeah. Like, not close. Right. It's essentially like you just you got to access that token and then you get the benefit, but you still get to spend the token in the way that you would have spent it originally. So. Um, yeah, way better than lethal. Uh, let's see, there are two. So there was an RG released on Thursday and then there was a, essentially an updated one released on Friday. There were essentially two changes from that. So if you caught an earlier version of the RG and were confused, we'll go ahead and point those out to you. The first one is exemplar. Uh, the, originally, it said um, it did. Well, there was no specification for whether or not it needed line of sight, which was contrary to the reminder text on Padme's card. Uh, it was updated to clarify that it does, in fact, require line of sight. So, um, for all those that were enthused about uh, sharing tokens with Padme across line of sight blockers, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that that was me. I have not been one of Padme's biggest supporters. But when I found out that she might not need line of sight, I was like, oh, man, I can pass tokens to Kenobi through walls. This sounds great. Because um, one of the things about Padme is she was fragile. But, I mean, it didn't really make sense from a game, from a game standpoint. So I'm, I'm kind of glad they clarified it. Yeah. And the other thing that was weird was uh, lethal. Um, I think the Thursday version had uh, that you spend the aim and the roll defense dice step. 
which among other oddities canceled impervious <laughs> by rules as written because there would be no pierce value at the start of that step to give you extra dice um so that has been corrected to say attack dice step we kind of figured it was one of those 3 a.m edit sort of things yeah it would have been way better than canceling impervious man you would cancel impervious and then still get to pierce something right yeah like, I would yeah. have quit. I would have quit Discord if that was indeed true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Mike says, it just full blown breaks impervious when you use lethal. Yeah, you would have had this weird situation where like Clone Wars era snipers were bad against. Well, I mean, this is already sort of happens as a result of other things, but sort of uniquely bad their Pierce against uh, um, like arcs and BXs, uh, commandos and scouts would be uniquely bad against them but arcs and bx's would cancel each other's impervious <laughs> and it's just like i don't know that'd be really bizarre but yeah uh that is not correct uh the correct version is during the attack dice um step which is when you would normally spend aims anyway so that makes perfect sense to me um and impervious still works uh a couple other things in here you can now pre-measure with silhouettes um seems right it yeah, does it's super nice now you know if you stuck your model out or not. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that like previously, it's not like you could put a model behind a terrain piece to see if they would be hidden by it before you move them. But also, the silhouette, <clears throat> excuse me, is not really shaped like a model, um, but it's nonetheless what you shoot. <laughs> so it's not as intuitive, like when you look at a terrain piece, to be like, oh yeah, that's gonna hide my rebel trooper. Um, so I think this is a I think it is a gameplay improvement. I think it is a pace of play, uh, not improvement. Insert silhouette rant here. Oh, um, uh, man. I, I was trying to avoid I kept myself muted so I wouldn't put my two cents in here. So let's not go on a silhouette rant. We don't want to do that right now. Yeah, we can save a silhouette rant for another episode. Um, suffice to say, I think this is a necessary change based on how the silhouette implementation currently is. Uh, but I think it will make games slower. Anyway, oh, for sure. okay. I know we're I know we're moving on, but I'll just say this: the alternative is that you memorize the location of the silhouette on each minute. The alternative is to not use silhouettes at all. That is another alternative. Or the, you're not playing in a tournament. The the working alternative is to avoid weirdly shaped pieces of terrain, uh, as we've seen that like cylinders and like like cylindrical pieces of terrain that used to hide your models no longer do that. Uh, they will clip an edge somewhere and you will be getting shot. Yeah, basically, if it's not like vertical and blocky, um, you're going to have problems. <laughs> Everyone should just play supports because they still use true line of sight. Well, I mean, at least the Nova terrain will be like... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I am certain that the Nova terrain will be uh, tenfold better the next time we actually have a Nova open. Well, what I'm saying, though, is that the existing stuff we got was good to go. It was silhouette functional, yes. It was also 40k functional, which is a little bit of a different problem. Speaking of uh, OP. Uh, yeah, speaking of, let's see, are there any other hostage, or hostage, are there any other RG updates that we needed? Oh, yeah, bomb cart. Speaking of vital assets, um, the bomb cart can move through anything as long as its final placement is legal, basically, um, including impassable terrain. 
So I think this is a, a straight up gameplay improvement. Um, bomb cart can't be blocked by previously. There was essentially like no specification for how bomb carts interacted with impassable terrain. There was one for um, difficult terrain. Basically said it was ignored difficult terrain, but uh, it wasn't like treat this as a X type of vehicle when moving or anything like that. There was basically like no guidance. So um, I think this is a gameplay improvement. Um, it means that you'll probably be able to move your bomb cart in a way that you want most of the time. And if your opponent places uh, your objective on top of some random piece of terrain, you can actually get to it. So, yeah, you can also like hobby it up too, right? Like the, the height of the bomb cart really like has no meaning. So if you want to yeah. put something on your cart, you can, you can do that. Yeah. If you want to put some crazy tall crates or, you know, like a Han Solo in carbonite thing or something like that on there, go nuts. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Did I miss Hans- anything like super relevant that changed? Hansel and Carbonite. Is there a reason that for that? No, I just I saw some cool adver- conversions with payloads that had Hansel and Carbonite. He's trying to make a joke about how Han Solo is not in the meta anymore, so the oh. only place you're going to find him on a table is frozen <laughs> in Carbonite. Uh, burn. Wow. There was like multiple levels to that one. That is cruel. <laughs> that's. Yeah, that's deep and also cruel. Um, oh, I don't want my prize damaged. Yeah, the, the shield tokens uh, were essentially reworded to say that they cancel hits or crits instead of giving you a guaranteed block. It's functionally exactly the same. It's just cleaner in your brain, I think. Yeah, it's like sort of the... Like, I don't like the way Impervious is written either but they were able to fix it here. Yeah, right. Like it's, it's a similar type of thing. It's a, Right. The, the way that it was worded previously was a little bit confusing. This is much less confusing, but the, the, uh, the outcome is exactly the same, how it works. Like there's no gameplay change here. It's just, it functions in a, in a more intuitive way, basically. Uh, all right. So speaking of OP, um, there will be no more FFGOP events for 2020 at the convention size. Surprise! Said no one. Yeah, not shocking. Um, I think they did say that uh, stores can still host like store-level events if they want up to them, and obviously what's okay slash advisable in their own little jurisdictions, but uh, there will be no more FMG-sanctioned convention events or tournaments. Uh, this uh, this actually, I mean, um, it extended to primes and stuff too. Like, oh, did it? Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, it would basically it would like we're taking RPQs off the table. Like, okay, so uh, it is just like if stores want to do their seasonal kits or whatever, they can still do that, but that's it. Correct. I I think they even specified that they would be willing to ship out new seasonal kits. I think I'd have to go back and reread it, but and I, and I think that um they were basically like disperse these as you see fit was kind of how the article read yep um they did uh confirm that if you have an invite currently or somehow earn one in between now and the next worlds it will carry to whenever that is um the language 2025 yeah i mean it's notable that the language like they didn't say 2021 worlds they said whenever worlds is next (laughs) um inspiring yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to, like, I'm optimistic that we'll get, you know, an Adepticon 2021. Um, 
but who knows? I think it's impossible uh, to say anything at this point. Yeah, and I I appreciate the approach that they're taking at least. Um, like they're taking it seriously, and they're also not putting their foot in their mouth, um, yeah. which is important. Um, not to like throw them under the bus, but they've done this in the past. Like they give you a date and it doesn't happen, and people start freaking out. It's like not saying the four numbers 2021 allows them room to kind of like take it day by day, which is the smart approach with something like this. Yeah. I think it creates the right expectation that they're basically like, look, you know, worlds is going to be when worlds is going to be. And we'll tell you when we know more about that at some point and don't worry about it. Uh, all right. That's all we got for news. Did I miss anything? Should we do a quick hobby talk? I think so. Yeah, we could do some hobby. And by we, he means everyone else. Hey, man. (laughs) I. Hey, there's like supposed to be a drop here, right? Um, there is, but whatever. (laughs) Get out your brush and paint. It's hobby time. You set me up poorly for that one. I did. You're right. That's such a happy-go-lucky drop. I would have. I would have. It would have been a shame if I had to try and impromptu that one myself. Um, I don't know. I think we would have enjoyed it. <laughs> do, 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 do. Anyway, uh, I actually got all my B ones done. Nice, nice. How so? How long did that take you overall? In like, so the short answer is I didn't really time myself. Um, I will say it was probably not as long as it was in my brain because of the time that I like it I did it over the course of a long time but the actual like minutes that I spent on it was I think relatively efficient Um, so the assembly was probably about 20 minutes per unit per squad rather Um, 20 to 30 minutes so what is that like two to three hours for all six of them um and then i think the airbrushing coats was about the same so that's another three to four hours and then um the actual like brushwork was um probably about an hour and an hour 45 minutes per per squad so i don't know what is that like a total of like 12 hours roughly um so yeah that's not terrible two hours start to finish per unit ish that's off the top of my head i didn't like time myself but um yeah basically what i did is i assembled them which i know people have had ptsd about um (laughs) but if you use plastic glue and you have the right tools uh it's not too terrible you get in a nice little rhythm um i uh uh, basically primed them with uh, an airbrush uh, did a zenithal highlight with white um, primed them with like a medium tan color and then uh, did a zenithal spray with like a lighter tan and then finally white and then I threw a wash on them uh, that's like a brown wash and then I dry brushed them with um, uh, a light tan and then white um, and then I did some weathering and painted the guns black and that was it so um not super complicated. Oh, I also painted uh, squad markings on them, like across the shoulders. Um, so, um, yeah. 
not super complicated. I think it gets the job done. They look decent. Uh, for the bases, I did like a grassland thing. I used um, one of those GW technical dirt mud mixtures. I'm forgetting the... Sterling mud? Yeah, Sterling Battlemire, I think. Yeah, the sort of chunky one, right? Yep, Sterling Battlemire. It's, yeah, it's the one that's more like dirt and less like mud. Um, Drawbrush that with a lighter brown to make it like dirt, and then I glued some static grass on there, basically. Um, looks kind of like Naboo-ish. Um, yeah, I think they're good. I am um, excited to have that done with, so now I can paint some characters and hopefully some BX droids on Friday. I also have a rebel backlog of DLTs and Jedi Luke and Cassian and K2 that I want need to get to. <laughs> I painted up my Jedi Luke and I since went back and watched some more videos and I realized that my uh, highlight layers are a little too dull. And so I think I'm going to go back and try to push the contrast further with a few brighter highlights. Um, I've been a little bit reticent to put particularly bright highlights since he's wearing all black. You know, I don't want it to really stand out and look like, you know, cartoon lines, essentially. But I think if I'm really careful and I follow the edges, I could probably get something to stand out better. And also, I saw a uh, someone highlight the boots with sort of like a blue-black. So, like, the cloth is gray, but the Leather is blue-black. I think that's a really cool way to distinguish the two materials. And, I mean, this was, like, super detailed, too, like, you know, fingertips. <laughs> but I didn't, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, I'll be lucky if, you know, everything looks decent, <laughs> you know. But I think it kind of inspired me to go back and try to, to push some more contrast. And then um, the other part that I find difficult about Optiluk is his hair. Like, he's got this very particular hair color in, in Episode six. It's not the sort of, it's much less blonde to me. I mean, it could be the lighting, but I, I use kind of like a drab color and it's like, it's still not quite brown enough for, for what I'm seeing. And so I might try to go full on brown with like a drab highlight and see what, see what happens there. But that's what I've been doing for hobby lately is just really putting the fine touches on operative Luke. My favorite thing when I was painting my op Luke um, was the OSL because the way his lightsaber is positioned it like kind of gives you like a really good area to work with like you can kind of hit like the right like the whole like right side of his body and you don't have to like overdo it because his lightsaber is like like away from his body so like like thing about osl um and is that like um you at least for me when i started doing it and i'm still not good at it at all but I would overdo it because I'm trying to like emphasize something that's close to the body. And since Luke is so far away, you can hit it subtle and it looks great. Um, now I haven't been working on my Luke. I already painted him a while back, but um, I painted up a Cad Bane, um, even though I don't play Separatists. And I've been working on a Kenobi. I had, um, I bought three core sets, so I had a second Kenobi laying around. And the main reason for that is I ended up buying a army painter wet palette. Um, once uh, Lila, my second born here, uh, came into fruition, I was like, I kind of need to get a wet palette because I have a feeling that like um, painting is not going to be as simple as it used to be. And uh, I was like, I kind of need to preserve my paints. Uh, and th the best thing about that that I've noticed is when I used to use just like an actual palette 
when I mixed paints, I didn't really, I didn't really blend colors enough. And now with this wet palette, it's very simple to just kind of like drag paint over and mix it with like a white or like a black or like a darker brown or do all sorts of like mixtures of paints. And not only am I getting a different hue, but that paint's also good if I want to go back in like a couple hours, let's say, right? Let's say if I'm painting and like I had to step away to feed her and I come back an hour later, that paint that I made is still good. So I have lighter hues, darker hues, and I'm trying to work on shading, but without shades, if that makes sense. Like instead of like just slapping a null oil or like an Agrax earth shade on something, I'm still doing that, but then I'm shading in areas that I wasn't shading in before. So I'm kind of working on being better at technique and being better with my brush stroke at the same time. So uh, a wet palette, just for those that are not familiar with what that is, it's essentially like um, a tray with a piece of acrylic paper on top of a, a sponge. Um, you can get them for like 10 bucks at Michael's or on Amazon. Uh, I My painting game, like it totally changed my life uh, as far as painting is concerned, even more so, I think, than like airbrushing. Um, I would highly recommend that even if you're not doing blending, it helps a lot just to keep your paints thin. Um, you know, one of the most important thing with acrylic paints is making sure that they're thinned a little bit with water. And I find that my paint consistency is much better when I use a wet palette versus when I don't. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend. And what Zach is referencing is most of them have some kind of cover that you can put on them and they will essentially keep your paint nice and wet and prevent it from drying if you're going back to it after some period of time. So sorry, I was going to say that slow bleed of water coming back in really helps because you can't always rehydrate from the pot. What's funny is like when I, when I did it, so it comes with instructions and it tells you how to do it. And it tells you not to like over soak, like the first layer of foam that you put the paper on. Right. So when I did it, I thought I did it wrong because it didn't feel that wet. And I'm saying to myself, is this going to stay fresh for the time of period that I want? So I painted Cad Bane up. I did it over the course of three days. It was fine. Ten, like, like let's say like 10 days later, I opened up the wet palette and that paint was still usable. So think about that. That was like a 12 day period of time where that paint, it wasn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't as good as it was when I first poured it, but it was still very, very good. And that's like, um, beneficial for, you know, Kyle and I who have kids running rampant and we're like, well, we paid what $7 a pot for Citadel paints, we'll call it. And like, I don't want to waste a drop. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to invest in, in a wet palette. Yeah. And it's such a cheap accessory too. It feels like a no brainer to me. It was one of those things that like I've been involved in miniatures games basically since I was 12 and uh, had no knowledge of its existence for the first like significant portion of my miniatures painting, like hobby experience. And then somebody told me about them and I went out and got one and I was like, wow, what have I been doing this whole time? <laughs> so yeah, would highly recommend. Mike, you got any hobby progress? No, I, uh, I've got everything but my RT 97 C's left in my operative Vader army. So, um, Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, but that's the same place I was three weeks ago, whenever we last talked about this. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I haven't done anything hobby related lately. 
that's fair. I mean, it's I go entire weeks without doing any single thing that's hobby related. So I do mine first because of the weather down here. It's been thunderstorming like crazy, and it's also crazy humid. So I've been totally held up by the weather. Settle in, my dude. You're in Florida, and it's hurricane season. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find a workaround. Maybe that a surface primer looking better and better. Airbrush, man. Airbrush doesn't care how humid it is. Yeah, I gotta get like a hood that I can build and put it in the garage. So, um, disclaimer, uh, you don't actually, so I, am not giving health advice here, but, um, you don't actually need a hood with, uh, if you're using, if you're just using acrylic paint, cause it's non-toxic. Um, now th- the reason you would need it is if you don't want to get like random bits of whatever paint you're spraying on your garage wall. Yeah, that's what I was more okay. worried about. My garage is full of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I essentially just made one out of a um, like a cardboard box. Uh, and I put a cardboard box up against my wall on top of a table. And that that does it for me. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's um, perfectly functional for what it does. I will say, um, make sure you do some research on like what to actually buy. Um, if you do that, just cause you know, the compressor and then the actual brush you use are important and fiddly. It's got a little bit of a learning curve, but it's one of those things that like really unlocks, um, you know, uh, sort of a, a new level for you. Yeah. And especially cause I want to do larger stuff, right? Cause I got this, I got the saber tank that's beckoning to me. Yeah, it really saves a lot of time when you're painting big stuff. Or a lot of things that are similar, like droids. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of terrain that's unpainted because I said to myself, I'm going to do this by hand. And then I painted, like, two large pieces by hand, and I'm just like, "Uh, what am I doing with myself right now? It's like, it's daunting. So I probably need to get into this airbrush uh, situation as well. (laughs) I can just never keep the coats on large pieces like uniform like it always turns out kind of like splotchy yeah i agree like it feels like you look at it you can kind of see like your brush stroke yeah yeah yeah, i have a lot of problems with that yeah and and that may be just not putting enough coats on i don't know but yeah i've learned i've learned with bigger pieces that like it's hard to find the right consistency of your paint like you want it to be thick enough so you're not sitting there for like 20 hours painting one piece, but you want it to be thin enough so you're not getting that streaky. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of tough to find a happy medium. Yeah, and I think an airbrush kind of just makes that problem go away. Once you get the ha- <clears throat> Once you get the hang of like the consistency you need and keeping it clean and stuff, it's like cheating. Especially for large pieces and repetitive tasks. Like B1 battle droids? Yep, like B1 battle droids. And honestly, like almost any, like I've, I've actually started painting uh, Rebel Troopers that way too. Like cloth and stuff you can do um, with an airbrush. You know, they're not like amazing, but they look fine from three feet away. Um, well, unless we got any more hobby talk, we have an interview today with John Bushfax. Bushman. So let's jump to that. Uh, 
And we're back with John Bushfax Bushman, who is back in the States. How are you doing, John? Doing great. Glad is, to be home. Is it, is it true that you shaved your mustache? It is gone. It washed off with the rest of the Afghanistan dirt. I can say that it's a it's a bit of a visual shock to see you without it, but uh, it's it's an improvement. <laughs> Not that it was bad Thanks. before, you know. Uh, just... it, was, it was bad. It was. Bad. I thought we can't put the two face back in the tube, Kyle. Right. <laughs> we bring a guest on. Kyle immediately insults him. This is like the fourth time. God. Hey, I said he looked great with no mustache. Nice. Um, well done. A, comp- a compliment and an insult all at the same time. <laughs> Um, yeah, so John, you're the you're the data guy, the stats guy, um, stats guys, according to Bell Lost Souls, apparently. <laughs> um, so you have collected a bunch of data for various tournaments recently, including Gen Con Online. Do you want to tell yeah. us about that? Yeah. So um, I've I've set up the system and and it's super easy to plug in data and get all these results now um, so long as I could get basic things like lists and round results uh, which since we were running it I had full control of getting which, so it was awesome um, and so I've got data separated out for the Gen Con Swiss event and the and the cut itself um, so starting off we had a, a majority of the Gen Con Swiss was actually Rebels, a majority of factions present. There was 40% of the players there played Rebels, with the Imperials coming next at 30%, and the last 20%, or last 30%, kind of split between Republican Separatists, uh, which is kind of not what we'd been seeing before. We'd been seeing an even split of all four factions. Um, back at like invader league was pretty evenly split uh so i don't know if that's newer players that are more used to rebel and imperial but... well there's there's one important qualifier um just before we go through the rest of this data and that this gen con online was using street legal dates so arcs and bx rights oh, were not legal yeah. for gen con online um, but they right. were for invader league so that's right yeah, so that means all those rebel and imperial defactors, uh, they, they stuck with their original clan mates. <laughs> I'm yeah, all, sorry. The, uh, all the meta chasers came back to rebel. Hold up. I don't think that we can call people that have defected meta chasers yet because they haven't had a chance to experience their true faction identity. You know, if you, if you were a person that was truly a Republic player at the beginning of the game, you have to defect, right? Yeah, because you couldn't play Republic when the game started. Exactly. So I don't think that's fair. Maybe you've maybe you've always just been a closet Republic player. And now you can actually play Republic. There you go. All right. If if you were playing in Gen Con, which you weren't, Michael, because you were helping run the event, would you have played Imperials or would you have played Republic? I am going to play the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I probably would have been playing Imperials. <laughs> uh, I have made my point. <laughs> well, on the flip side, I'm just going to hide all these uh, unfinished clone miniatures over here. <laughs> you didn't see anything. Yeah. Um, so what else is the data saying? 
So uh, despite the majority being rebels and Imperials, uh, if we look at the win rates and how each faction did against other factions, uh, Imperial had a losing win rate. They won 40% of their non-Imperial games. Rebels were pretty split at 50% of their non-Rebel games. Hang on. But, that, yeah. that, is, that is awful for Imperials. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a that's like a one third win rate, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they have a reason to defect, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to old recordings. I'm gonna find some like imperial like propaganda that Mike was spitting like a year ago, and I'm gonna make like a clip of it all. And it's gonna be like an hour long clip because we all know he was an imperial all about those imperials, and here we are. He's got a, he's oh got my a... god, short troopers are so good. They're going to destroy everything. Losing win record. Can you start with episode four when we said it was objectively wrong not to play Palpatine? <laughs> hey, David, you know what? Maybe hey. you have these notes. you got to tell me where to start. Pal- Palpatine is amazing. <laughs> still is. Still relevant. Yes, it's still, still awesome. In fact, Empire releases have kind of defined the meta since the game came out. I was actually recapping this. I was like, wow, every single unit in the last like year and a half has been meta-defining for, from Empire. Uh, what, did the, what did the Clone Wars faction uh, win rates look like? So they both had winning rates. Um, the Republic came out at 58% of non-Republic games and Separatists at 56 and individually against, um, if you take either of the Clone Wars factions against either of the Civil War factions, they have a winning uh, record against them, like across the board. And this is, as we previously noted, before the ARC and the X-Droid releases? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Kyle says hesitantly, knowing what's to come. <laughs> <laughs> a little worry in your voice there? Well, I mean, if we look at the, there's a tab in here for Invader League data, for which those units were legal, and let's just say that the trends are similar. Um, yeah. What about what about activation count? Activation count. Uh, it's overall, it's pretty well rounded, around ten. Um, minimum of eight activations, maximum of thirteen. Uh, 10 is very solidly the average, though. Um, and faction-wise, there were no rebels with less than 10 activations. Uh, and Republic and Separatists, especially because, as we know, no strike teams, uh, all of the Clone Wars era factions had 8 or 9 activations. So impressive that they can still do essentially what they were doing with only eight to nine activations. Yes. Yes. Definitely impressive. What about uh, what about bids? Bids in let's see, in the cut it's a little more focused. In the however, in the Swiss part of Gen Con, it looks pretty scattered. Just uniformly bids are going from zero to fifteen. Uh, even going up to 24 in the most extreme case. So we had we had an average of 7, but that's not saying a, most people were bidding at 7. We just had a lot under 7 and a lot over 7. 
yeah, frankly, uh, 24 seems to be like a crazy bid. It was very much a crazy bid in the in the sw- or sorry, rather in the cut. It was very drastic, either zero bid or 10 plus bid, almost no in between. Only one bid was six. The rest were no bid or high bid. That's interesting. I actually have had so many conversations about bids, and I feel like that's kind of the way to go. You either go like full gusto or you go for like a full bid. Um, So it's interesting to see that the top cut kind of like went that way. Right. It's also cool, like knowing that most people aren't bidding high, you feel like you can almost get away with like a small bid and it's sort of like, well, you know, if someone really, if someone really bids hard, it's like, okay, I'm going to let them just have those points. Like whatever. I just start with that many more points than they do, but I could still get away with like a three or four point and still expect to have more than 50% of my games be blue. It would, it would appear. Right. Yeah. I find myself building lists to like 798 or like 799. And that's just basically like, well, one, I can't fit more things in there because it's so tight. And then two, I'm going to win the bid against someone that's bringing 800, which is good enough, right? Right. So it's sort of interesting. You know, I'm looking at the the data here, John. Um, you know, kind of talking about like people that go at the 800 level. Um, like it looks like there's actually more people at 799. Right, there there are there's there was ten at seven ninety nine compared to six at zero, or at um, eight hundred. Yeah, which I guess from like where I'm sitting, like does that drive that conversation closer towards, um, like okay, well you shouldn't if you're if you're looking to bid the like, the players that aren't bidding, should you actually actually be bidding seven ninety eight instead of seven ninety nine? If if you want that little bid, sure. But I think seven ninety nine is more just a convenience factor. Oh, my points added up to seven ninety nine. I don't have a one point upgrade. Sounds good. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, two points is recon intel, right? Right. I I do think there's some merit though to bidding like three or four and kind of making sure that you outbid almost all those red player lists. And you know, you're not going to win against someone that's bidding ten or eleven or twenty four anyway. But if you're bidding like three or four, that's fairly modest, but still gets you blue player probably at least 30 to 40% of the time. I mean, yeah, 23 players bid less than four points. So you bid four out of the 64. Yeah, that's uh, over a third that you'd beat. This is knowing that your list is not a skew list that sort of relies on bidding, like, say, triple tauntauns, right? Right. Yeah, if you've got a skew list, I think you you still definitely want to shoot for 10 or more, 10, somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. If it's like a hard skew list that depends on certain objectives. Yeah, that's fair. Rebels had all of the high bids. They had three, four, five, six, ten of the bids that were 10 points or more belonged to Rebels. I feel like that makes sense. Um, I know that we're going to talk objectives in future episodes, but I feel like rebels are in a weird spot with objectives, so they kind of have to bid. And what I mean by that is they, and I'm not like gonna like, you know, shit on a little bit here, but like they don't want to play hostage exchange, like they especially against clones. And I know that clones weren't like 
super relevant here because they were, they were what, 10 clones altogether. So it's not like clones were a majority of the field, but you have to bid to make sure that you're not playing hostages chains against the clones because like your rebel troopers are taking that hostage. They're just going to get slapped around round two. And it's just, I think that's the main reason for rebel to be bidding right now. Yeah. Is hostage? I got to So hard, hard disagree. Hard disagree. I, first of all, I think everybody other than clones wants to be not taking hostage exchange right now. Oh, like, definitely, definitely, like hands down. But like, I think I think rebels are bidding for like bombing run, breakthrough, like all of the like tauntaun focused objectives um, more than and and frankly, I think they might even be like bidding more for objectives and condition cards or not, uh, not object uh, deployment and condition cards is what I meant to say there. Um, like limited viz and like the R2 secret mission um, deployments that are really good, um, which I guess is a good way to kind of segue into maybe like, do you have battle card counts, John? I do have battle card counts. Can you do those by faction? Yes. There's a drop down menu at the top. It switches by faction. Rebels, zero hostage exchange. Uh, no, they it's had not. 10. <laughs> Wow, that is way more than I expected. It's still the least picked objective for rebels. Yeah, and I imagine that um, are these are these objective cards from those games? Or are these things in their battle deck? Yeah, they're supposed to be things in their battle deck. It looks like this set of data may have gotten a little messed up, though. Okay. Um, those numbers Damn. seem high, given that there's only... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'll have to revisit those. No, here, here's here's what it is. That's probably an overall list, and 10 uh, is the 10 clone list that probably brought hostage exchange. And the other 54 people did not. Uh, no, this no, no, there's more no, to no. 63 hostage exchange. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, I bet it's counting games and not um, not by the list. I don't have that info per game though. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, not for this event. The trivial pursuit. Yeah, the trivial pursuit <laughs> wheel is feeling us. <laughs> it totally does look like that. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. That looks. All right. Well, let's skip the. Uh, the let's skip the battle cards then. But before we before we leave that though, um, yeah, I just wanted to comment that like I'm a I am a small bid rubble player, and so I am bidding more to bid away than I am bidding for. I just want to tack that onto the end there. Like if you're a small bid player, you're likely saying, you know, I'm I'm not like huge. I know that like certain things are really bad for me in certain matchups, and I know those lists tend to bid this much, and so I'm like, okay, I have to adjust what I do to try to avoid that. And then if like, if someone bids hard, then that's whatever. But it really is more like a bit away from say like a 799 or 800 clone who wants to battle lines me and take that clankers me off the board on turn one, say I'm trying to deliberately bid away from that into like, you know, um, long March or something like that with a small bid rather than bidding for battle. Uh, I don't like losing. (laughs) Uh, Just get that salt shaker out, you know? No, please. All right, so let's talk. Let's take a look uh, at the rebel, maybe the rebel uh, faction breakdown as far as unit mix is concerned. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's see. What can you tell us about that? So, New Swiss Rebels had primarily Cassian, Andor, and R2-D2. Uh, coming in at 20 R2s and 19 Cassians. There were still seven operative Lukes, though, which is good to see because I remember Invader League had a surprisingly few small number of Luke Skywalkers. Uh, in addition to those seven, there's another three Commander Lukes. So 10 of the 25 Rebel lists had Luke Skywalker. That feels, well, that feels good and right. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 19 personally. out of 25 had Cassian. Uh, there's still still six Jins. That's a bit surprising. A lot of folks wanted to run the Rogue One combo now that Cassian was available in K2, and so Jin seemed like a logical choice for Courage 3. Including one that made the finals, right? Uh, did it? Was yeah, it yeah, the list, the Jin list? Yeah, yeah. Aaron Amelia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Lord of Paper Towels. Uh, so there were also 21 RT, more, there were more rebel RTs than there were Tauntauns coming in at 21 where there were 17 Tauns. I find that incredibly interesting. This, (laughs) this to me says people, this, like, this doesn't even really factor in like the clone ball. I feel like yet. Like, because the standby sharing really didn't get out of hand until you had a bunch of like cheap activations to pad it with. Um, and like this says to me, people just hate playing Tauntauns. Well, yes and no. I I think a lot of it, and I know where you're coming from, Mike. Is you know we we're basically the last time we saw Tauntauns and like standby sharing on like a real table, right? Was LVO, and. I think that the Gen Con tournament and like the, the units we saw might have been more relevant to what we would have seen at Worlds. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, I actually think you saw less Tauntauns because Saber Tanks and AATs were available, and they weren't available for LVO, which is where we saw Tauntauns kind of run rampant. And I know there were a lot of ATRTs at LVO too, but I'm thinking that standby sharing, yes, with arcs kind of hurts Tauntauns a lot more. But AATs and saber tanks also can do some, you know, they can they can light up the tauntauns quite a bit. I think people also wanted to run Cassian, and he, and he doesn't particularly synergize directly with tauntauns that well. That's fair too. Yeah, that was a huge influencing factor. Is that you know people said, oh, Cassian, oh, volunteer mission, let me run operatives, let me run Sabine Luke, let me not run tauntauns with this. I also wanted to mention that like people forget that tauntauns a while. They can succeed spectacularly, can also fail spectacularly. Um, they can be very up or down depending on priority, depending on what you're facing. Um, you know, there's lots of things out there that successfully destroy them. Um, Dooku, Saber Tank Alpha, there's lots of things that can just blow up a Tauntaun really quickly before it gets its dodges on. So it, I think Cassian was actually less of a risky choice on top of it. I'm just mainly upset you didn't say oh Cassian, my Cassian. <laughs> I mean he's real good. Um, not gonna lie. 
What's interesting, John, is that there were 19 Cassians, but there were only 13 K2s, correct? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that doesn't surprise me too much. I, I'm a big fan of Cassian without K2. Uh, because Cassian without K2 is the sniper that sits in the back. Right? Cassian yeah. with K2 to me is the Cassian that's going to be a bit more risky and, and go go up with the pistol, maybe. Yeah, guess which one gets killed by standby. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it should sniper. be I think it should be noted that like the the three of us, David, uh, John, and I, we also like to run Cassian with Luke. And in those in those builds, you kind of run out of points for K two, or he doesn't really fit the army that you're building around those two units. So. I can understand why the three of us are saying that K2, <laughs> not next to Cassian, makes sense. But uh, I'm still surprised to see that. Well, there, were, there were six of the 19 that agreed with us. So, I mean, yeah, Cassian and K2 is exceptionally strong. And, and when I first started learning the unit, I absolutely played Cassian K2. And I played the close infiltrate stuff. And it was awesome. Like, it was really cool to do this. But I could never do it against clones. Just no right. way. And then I sort of like thought to myself, well, you know, if I'm taking R2D2 and list with no armor, kind of want to take 3PO. 3PO also has calculate. So, you know, there's some synergy there that you can sort of make up for the lack of K2 in your list by paying 15 points for 3PO. Yeah. How many people brought 3PO? That's what you I want to know. You I want to know words out of my mouth. <laughs> I want to know how much I changed the world this year. <laughs> how much you changed <laughs> the world. All yes. right. All right. Let's, let's see. With Republic, there were five out of ten R2-D2s, or five out of ten R2-D2s brought 3PO, and with Rebel, uh, eight out of 20. So about half of the R2-D2s had an accompanying C-3PO. Yes! You touched the hearts and minds of 13 people, Mike. Good job. There you go. I... 13 i think it should still yeah, be more yeah. i think i think so too but i we're getting there we are slowly but surely the the revolution is happening and uh what's the droid that starts the revolution on uh on l3 i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna lie every time i build the list now i'm like all right why don't i start by putting r2 with 3po and then build out from there and if I have to cut 3PO, I will. But a lot of times I'm like, nah, I want 3PO, so I'm going to find the point. So yeah, Mike Mike planted the seed in my head, and now I'm stuck on that too now. Thanks, Mike. So this is coming from the clone overlord of token sharing, right? That wants the C3PO tokens? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Just just checking. Yep. I mean, the extra health doesn't it doesn't hurt either. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It's actually it's huge. sometimes more valuable than the tokens. Um I like paying for calculate 15 points when I was going to take it anyway, or take R2 anyway for SM. <laughs> so it's like, well, if I, if I don't end up scoring SM, well, at least I was calculating to Cassian the whole time. Although every... I, I was going to say the, the funniest thing about R2 and 3PO, sorry to cut you off there, John, no, is, is that the one, one of the times I've seen it happen, I haven't seen it happen often is counterpart works a lot different than like two model units. So, like, someone left their C-3PO exposed, but their R2-D2 was, like, around the corner, so they thought they were fine. And they, like, ate, like, a huge shot, and 
it killed both unit, you know, both models. I had to like rule that in Invader League actually uh, on a call, and it was just funny to see like counterpart. Yeah, you can gain the benefit of covering like in corner peak, but you're not necessarily safe. I actually don't think I realized that. Yep. That even the the hidden model can take wounds. Yep. Huh. yep. It's different than your normal uh, your normal wound rules because counterpart you can pick any miniature. That's a see if three PO still gives you a great way to get cohesion cover. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. My so, issue with C three PO is every game I'm either using R two D two to score secret mission or to token share, never both. Well, that's the thing. You get if you so when you bring three PO right, you get to make the choice at the beginning of the game, and um, yeah. like if you if you like lose the bid or like you know it just like you messed up turn zero, like all of a sudden this R two D two is not just dead, you know. Yeah, know. that's fair. Right, and it's also what fifty five points. That's not a naked ATRT. <laughs> it's the other benefit of it. It's very cheap activation. Yeah, it's just 50, I think, right? Oh, yeah, it's 50. Yeah, sorry, I can math, right? 15 plus 35. I think I maybe had, maybe I had 55 in my head because I used to run it with comms relay so I could relay blast off to Luke. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, so let's talk about the other factions, too. We're, we're giving Rebels some some love, but what, uh, yeah. what like, the characters and, like, the Imperial and clone and separatist factions looking like so imperial was led by Iden versio out of their 18 lists 11 of them had Iden. and the next most popular commanders were bosk and krennic at six so Iden by far the most popular um a couple speeder bikes not 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 many supports or heavies on the imperial side uh, where'd my boy Operative Vader come in at? I don't know if I could see him. He's so small. D don't tell me zero. Please. I think a two. I think it was a two pack. I oh, there's two. There's yeah. two. Okay. You got two out of fifteen. Did I say? Eighteen. 18. Two out of eighteen. Eleven percent. That's that's a higher percentage than I assumed it would be. <laughs> um, here's a good question, John. Uh, yeah. How many items brought her gun? And how many brought Dio? I didn't. Let's see. Uh, 10 out of 11 brought Dio. And 9 out of 11 brought the gun. Okay. Probably 10 out of 11. Looks like it got split into the repeater and the rifle. Okay. Huh, interesting. Um... Yeah, it, I I feel like the Iden gun debate has been like kind of roaring lately. Whether to bring it because I know it's fifty. What is it? Fifteen points. Yeah. Um, is she good without her gun? <sighs> the only imperialist that made the finals or made the top eight um, didn't uh, didn't have a gun. Really? Yeah. Well, there's, I think there's a real conversation for it because it has Pierce. Her base gun has Pierce. Okay. Yeah, and she has. And she has ways to get aims right through her command cards and um, offensive push because she can recover with one of her command cards, right? Uh, my my rebel and my clone are showing. I don't know her cards off the top of my head. But 
um, I feel like her she's like the same gun as Veers. So it's not as bad when you have Marksman, number one, and number two, it has Pierce. And I, I feel like people are kind of floundering on bringing her gun because it's not good against red dice per se. We'll put it in air quotes, not good. Is that it, it has the it has the opportunity to be stopped by better saves is what it boils down to. And people are kind of liking the pistol with the Pierce. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, I think the argument is like, sure, maybe you wish you would have brought the repeater against rebels and separatists, but you're primarily worried about clones anyway. So, yeah, I think this is a meta call for the most part. I think like if we're in a balanced meta where like clones aren't the top dog or the or the dog you're looking to take down, right? Um, I think you probably take the gun and load out to whatever is relevant. But when you're specifically like, I need as many Pierce units as possible. I think there's something to say too, that like we're mainly discussing tabletop simulator tables and in an, like in a real life situation, the tables might be a little bit better for her repeater. Uh, you know, I think that's notable. Better because less cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I, I mean, and that's not to say anything bad about the TTS tables, right? I think we have some good tables on TTS, and especially like some of the single elimination um, Invader League maps that we are starting to use more and more often. I think they're really good tables, um, but I find that TTS has a little more line of sight blocking, or like I don't know. If, a lot of heavy terrain. I wouldn't say line of sight blocking, but a lot of heavy terrain. And I think a lot of times in real life, you'll have stores that will like, when you're running a tournament, they'll be light on terrain. So then there's a lot of open spaces yep. or, or like, let's say they have like trees, like, like little light, like trees that are used for like Warhammer or something like that. And like, now that's like light terrain rather than heavy terrain and, and stuff like that. So I feel like on a real table, her repeater might have more value. The Iden players I've talked to also say the repeater is like specifically they fear CIS and not having volume weapons. And they're like, I just need another volume weapon because apparently three shores don't cut it somehow. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to to be that sarcastic. I think that's a serious concern. And it's nice (laughs) to have that, that extra volume weapon there, especially like Uh, what you said, as you said, um, you know, if they're like, if the covers letter plus, you know, on pulse scan, you're going to get sharpshooter two. That's her one pip. So you can knock the heck out of somebody with that repeater once their cover's down. Well, I mean, uh, if you're taking pulse scan, you just use the weapon on the card, right? No, no, no. That's tactical. That's concussive blast. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. So right. Conk, Conk blast gives you the, yeah. it's the free recover and the five red. That, that one's also real good. No lie. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> General yeah. Gears over here, like, um, man, I wish I had blast. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I had one two pip. That was good. I didn't have two. Right. <laughs> yeah. It does have one two pip. It's good. It's called pin down. There you go. <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, well, not speaking of, but what else? What did we see for like um, non-character counts for Empire? Yeah. So Empire after that was just shore troopers, essentially. Um, 38 shore troopers, each of which had a mortar. Every single one. So that's so, 
out of 18 Imperials, that essentially means you had between two and three shorts yes. on every Imperialist. Okay. Yes. I want to talk about this because, <laughs> I, well, I, I actually think we have two separate data sets that say the same thing, but I think we can draw different conclusions from them to some degree. Like, um, like the invader imperial lists like were either shores or they didn't take shores at all because of arc strike teams just like or at least we think arc strike teams are wrecking them but like here we see a meta that doesn't have arc strike teams at all and shorelines are basically at a, basically at a 40 percent win rate across the board which i think is interesting I mean, I mean, the I mean, yeah, that's interesting. And the other interesting thing too is that like it was a straight shoreline. And what I mean by that is like there were thirty-eight shores and thirty-eight mortars, which kind of surprises me because like I'm surprised that there wasn't anybody sprinkling in like a fourth shore without a mortar, or like four shores and two mortars, you know, it's things like that. Um, but yeah, the lack of arcs definitely bolster shores and. Uh, I mean, you we're gonna talk about your power rankings, Mike, but I mean shores were still high up in your list even with, you know, arcs being prevalent. And they're not bad units. I just wanna be clear about that. Yeah. Like, but but I think it's interesting that we're seeing these like high powered shoreline lists basically falling flat in, in you know, across the board. Yeah, it's kind of wild now that you kind of put it that way, I guess. Yeah. I mean... D- it, Dave's baseball it's so hard right so, now. There's <laughs> an elephant in the room that I don't know if I want to breach this can of worms. There's yeah, I mean, it's... a it's. Oh, man, this is a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we come back to this at a later day? Let's keep talking about the stats. I'll just, uh, I'll just leave with one final thought here. Power creep is not balanced. <laughs> <laughs> accurate i mean that's fine i just i figured i'd throw it out there i yeah. think that we we have this tournament specifically we have yet to see like the big power creepy things hit the table is why i bring it up uh, sure well i'm not sure i agree with that necessarily but that's I, fair i think we yeah. can leave it on this there is one thing t21s can't do and that is pierce red with surge accurate that's going to help you with the Pierce situation. Yeah. I mean, I could also be, cr- I mean, I could also be crazy, but there's 11 items and only four veers. And I feel like Iden and veers kind of go hand in hand. Like, I think you should see more Iden and veers together. Um, and a lot of these appear to be really bizarre combinations of empire characters. That's basically what I was boiling it down to. And John can kind of like touch on that a little bit more, but like, like to see six Krennics and four veers is kind of, surprising to me because i feel like there would be it would be the opposite or you would see more veers with Aiden. i just think the two of them really like pair well but and indeed the uh the empire list that made the top eight was veers Aiden with three shores i'm assuming they were uplink shores right yes yeah it was 40 points of uplinks. in fact if you check out the fifth trooper youtube channel we just <laughs> uploaded that game on the fifth trooper youtube uh quite recently so you can actually go watch that game commentated by myself and Mike Barry and uh, Ghost Walking. So. 
Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's a it's a showcase of how not to run Iden into a into a clone gun line. <laughs> it was it was really fun. I thought she was gonna do it. I thought it was like, wow, is R one gonna show me something that I wasn't aware of? And he did. He showed me that Iden can actually live that long in melee against six hundred points of clones. How about we move on to Republic? <laughs> John, what can you tell us about the Republic breakdown? Yeah, so Republics, um, every single Republic army had R2-D2, 10 out of 10. Um, and then 7 out of 10 of them also brought Padme. Um, sorry, the, the site shows 8 out of 10 with Padme, but 7 of... Oh, hold on. Then, yeah. Yes, uh, 8 of them then had R2-D2 and Padme um, going for that double secret mission. And um, also, I think notable, seven of the Republic armies, which I don't think we'll see once arcs are out, but seven of those ten also had the TX-130, the Saber Tank. Saber Tank's good, man. It, I mean, it is in lack of better options. Whoa, 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 whoa. Saber Tank is still good with the better options. You just plug them in for the naked troopers. Uh, I don't know. Beam Beam always feels like it should, it's going to be good, but it's so easily avoidable. Nah, never bring the Beam. You bring the uh, high-energy shells, HQ uplink, and the vet pilot, and you just smash at, four, at range four and recover and shoot. It's, it's good, even with the arcs. Oh. I'm I'm genuinely surprised how the loadouts on the sabers have ended up turning out. Um, in that they like they're taking shells instead of like hard points. Well, it's not that it's not that the all right. This is coming from someone's played the saber tank quite a bit. Um, it's not that. Well, I think the beam gun makes you miss. Like it, it feels like it could either be a hit or a miss. And again, I think it boils down to a real-life table might be better for the beam gun. And what I mean by that is you might catch somebody in the open with the beam gun more than you would on TTS. And the thing about the, um, was it the TLT? Think about the TLT hard point is that it wants you at range three. And I don't know if you realize how big the side arcs are on the saber tank, but it is like the size of the Grand Canyon. So you want to sit far away from your opponent, and that's why I think the high-energy shells is such a good pair for the... Um, I mean, first of all, high-energy shells at eight points is like a bargain. Um, I get that it has to cycle and it taps and stuff like that, but for a unit that you want HQ uplink on because you can't get orders from clone cards, um, so you're going to want to re refresh anyways, it's just kind of like a match made in heaven, especially with the clone the clone bomb pilot, because that also taps. So it's just like I know we talk about it a lot on the cast, and you guys, you know, talked about it a lot on the cast prior. Is when you can get like value out of cards that can refresh, it's kind of just like a no brainer, and that's why I think the shells are something you see more often than not. Yeah, you end up in a situation where like you're just you're just stacking value on that recover. And it's like, wow, this recover really puts me back with like three things, and plus I get a second use of the veteran clone. It's just so handy. 
And plus, like, you get the extra dice at four versus three, like you said, and that that's just huge. And it's another source of critical. Um, yeah, it's which, even more critical for a yeah. tank that doesn't surge natively, right? It basically gives it surge crit, right? I mean, and... Yeah. It ba- you know, high it it's close to surge crit. It, it basically gives it critical X. What's that? I see what you did there. <laughs> I'm trying here. I get, you know, I feel like I didn't get the laughs that I should have. Maybe that sounded better in my head. I don't. Know. I mean, you can always make like a laugh track and put it in afterwards. You know. You know, maybe I will do that. Or yeah. a cricket track. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, besides that, the the separatists also went very tank heavy with 11 AATs in nine lists. So they even had more than one per. That's crazy. That high velocity meta call to counter Tauntauns, right? Yeah. Yeah, what what I found interesting was that you had seven Grievous and two Dooku, right? Which means you saw zero double the falls. That is correct. So a list that we saw kind of dominating the early droid meta was not prevalent here at all. It's kind of wild to me. I mean, essentially what people have done is replaced one of those two characters with a tank. Yeah, I mean, I also... run two tanks. (laughs) Well, that too. Um, I also think it boils down to the fact... um, Double the fall was like a gimmick, maybe, and it and um. Oh boy! I, well, we go. I, I well, I want. I wanted. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to channel my inner Mike Barry here and say that was maybe it was a gimmick, and and people were kind of afraid to run it because people kind of solved it a little bit now that the game has you know evolved. Um, well, you also have to look at like when that was popular what units were available to droids it was well, the oh yeah that with a corset yeah, which tank. is b1's droid of cousin grievous and the dooku expansion and that's it so like your choices were basically either run dooku and grievous together which a bunch was a bunch of b1s or run one of them with a bunch of b1s and, and droidicas and those are your options right <laughs> so i think to call it a gimmick is a little bit like i mean is 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 luke Rebel troopers and rotaries a gimmick. Yes, like, that's all. That's all rebel trooper. That's all rebel players could run for the first month or two of the game. You know, like um, it was a yeah. gimmick that didn't work because DLTs smoked the RTs. Well, they're them, back. Them Vader speeder back. back. Yeah, I remember Veers, um, or yeah, Vader speeder bikes, or even like Veers triple bikes. You know, that was like a top medalist at uh, 2019 Nova Open. I'm sorry. Gears with uh, new ways to motivate them snows with medics. <laughs> that was those were the days, man. Yeah, I remember. Right? Those were, those were fun days. <sighs> um, yeah. How many how many droid lists did not have a tank? None, I don't think. Maybe maybe there. Well, there, there could be some. I don't know. I don't have that. Okay, that's not an easy filter. No. I think there probably are some because there were at least three double tank lists 
I think. I, I only have seven marked as AAT lists. Oh, no. Yeah, so two of them. Two of them did not have AATs. I do have that info. And there were I two stand. two Cad Banes, so it was probably those. Probably. Uh, yeah, because there were no Cad Banes with the AAT uh, lists. There you go. I love the AAT. Yeah, yeah I'm, gl- I'm so glad that it was not a flop. Like, I was worried, like, it, it was going to meet the same fate as the ATST, but this thing is is tearing up everywhere. It's really hey, hang on, hang on. <laughs> ATST is fine. I think we had this conversation like a week or two ago did on we? the cast. We did. Okay. Yeah. I think I think specifically that I think the conversation was centered around if separatists could take ATSTs, Kyle would be taking an ATST over an AAT. The, yeah. There you go. I remember this conversation. The ATST. Had a moment when Krennic and Shores could still take Com Relay, and that moment has passed. Make Shore Troopers great again. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, um, you got any other data nuggets for it, John? Uh, no, just that there was only one ATST in this tournament. Oh, oh, here we go, David. David getting what he just talked about. What did I say? Aiden's <laughs> newer and more fun. Oh, okay. I, I do but think not that... necessarily better. Hmm. Anyways, uh, so I do think that like a lot of the um, this meta was people playing new stuff. It seems like maybe the new stuff is just good. But there seems to be like a ton of just like AAT, Saber Tank, Iden, Cassian. Like those are those seem to be the most prevalent units, basically, right, John? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, we have to put things into perspective as to what the gaming landscape looks like right now. Right? Like for the most part, people are not playing random pickup games at their local stores. So, like, for a lot of people, this might be the first chance they had to try Aiden or Cassian or one of the tanks, Um, you know, because people just aren't gaming as much and they're not doing it in person. So um, I think in a normal situation, you have a convention and people would be playing all kinds of pickup games and practice games at their local store leading up to that. And ultimately, they would settle on some list. But I think it's very possible that for a lot of players of this tournament, this is like the first chance that they got to try one of these new units. Period. So I think you can sometimes write, you know, newness off as like, well, where do you separate? Like, is the new stuff just better versus is it just shiny? But I, I feel like there's a very significant shiny component just sort of u- because of the unique situation that we're in right now. Maybe. I guess we'll see over the next few months. <laughs> All right. Well, John, thanks for uh, doing everything that you do with all this awesome data collection. Yeah, no problem. This Um, dashboard is a really great resource. Thanks. It's not the prettiest. It's not as pretty as I'd like it to be, but it works better than anything else I've found so far. I I know you said dashboard, but I definitely heard stashboard. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm 
definitely going to refer to you as Trivial Pursuit Man instead of Stats Guy now. So, oh, oh boy, these pie charts are beautiful. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and yeah. uh, hopefully, we'll see each other at some point soon. Ish. Eventually. Eventually. Once all this blows over. Yeah. All right. Take care, guys. Yep. Thanks, John. So that was John Bushfax Bushman. Uh, he is also a member of the Fifth Trooper team. He is our stats guy, our data guy, the stats guy. Um, and uh, you guys got any final thoughts? I was just, I was just sitting, I was just sitting here waiting for David to say ban tactical strike. No, that, that comes later. <laughs> we do, we do need a crickets drop. I think. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can work on that. I'm we'll, sure we can we'll find something. Yeah, yeah. David, why don't you um, tell us some information on uh, Yavin Base Team League? Sure. Um, we'll talk more about this next week, but uh, yeah, my team league is is open for registration. Um, it's going to be a two phase tournament with some list building restrictions. It's kind of a fun, sort of casual thing, um, uh, and it's just going to be a whole lot of fun. And we've had overwhelming demand so far. Uh, registration has been open for like twenty four hours, and we're almost full. So I already had to increase the pod size to five teams of pod so that's really good um, but of course that means all the schedule graphics i made have to be redone so <laughs> rip um but yeah uh, it's gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more in depth about it next week and i'm looking forward to that for sure it's gonna be an exciting season yeah we gotta figure out if we're uh doing a team in that you know, i hope so do. i don't get to play i have to organize the thing so Sad face. We'll, fu- we'll fight for you. It'll be fine. No, I'll be, I, I'll be rooting for you. I don't miss organizing a, an a online event at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we got like we got two. We got the. I mean, what 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 is your official title? Uh, president of Invader League? Like, I don't know what you even call it. Head um, of Honcho. Uh, yeah, no, it's more like the gray head of Honcho, thanks to Invader League. Yeah. But we got we got the two people that run the the big premier online leagues on this show, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally joking. Like it, it, it. I mean, you know, it, there's a lot of work that goes into it, and at the end of the day, it's totally worth it. It's just, oh, yeah. uh, it's just getting over that like hump. Yeah, and, I mean, we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it, right? Like, yeah, of course, of course, it's a labor of love. <laughs> yeah, and there's lots of people involved in these things too. Um, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, um, excited for that. We'll have to figure out if we're fielding a team or not. Um, I'm sure many of those games will be streamed on your various Twitch channels. They will. They will. I'm pretty sure that uh, I'll pick them up. I know Dash will probably pick some up. Um, but they'll they'll be out there. Um, but yeah, I mean it's going to be Twitch.tv slash Base, Twitch.tv slash Dash's TV, D A S H Z TV. Yeah, buddy. Check them out. And uh, ladder single elims is going on right now too, right? Yeah, I'm in that. Um, I'm the only non clone player left. <laughs> so how many? Out of how many? Out of uh, well, what is it? 
I, I have to beat a clone to get to the top four. Uh, going in, there were only how many non clones? I think there were only two non clones in out the top of, 16. Oof, wow. That's outrageous. Or am I, I don't know if I'm totally out base. Kings of the Clouds tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, that that seems outrageous. We'll have to do an actual uh yeah. an actual check on that. But I know I know that Luke Cook was playing Luke Cook and I both went counter meta and uh Luke Cook lost to JJ after JJ made a ridiculous run of saves and then I uh I beat Prairie Pirates um in the first round. Cassian did like some insane, insane number of wounds. So you're running uh, Luke Cassian DLTs, basically. Yeah, I'm running. I'm running a, a man. I always keep coming back to this list. It's Luke. Luke plus ninety point commander plus some guns plus three snipers plus a medic. I always seem to come back to this formula. I and when it. I depart from it, I, I lose horribly. So I love it. I yeah. love it. I, I I'm so in on the Cassian Luke gun line. Yeah. If I were to it's run really a rebel good. list right now for a tournament, it would be basically yours. Yeah, it's it's completely a meta call. Like this list exists in a world without Tauntauns. <laughs> if I ran into a three Tauntaun player, I'm almost certain I would I would lose horribly. Would you though? I mean, I feel like you can probably chip a Tauntaun off before it gets to you with like Cassian and your snipers, and then Operative Luke is just like, "Hey, dudes, sup?" Yeah, my list didn't have any room for Hunter. And I sort of knew that I didn't need to include it because I probably wouldn't run into Tauntauns. But if I had to do it over again, I'd try to find room for Hunter. Because Hunter on Cassian is really good against Tauntauns. Especially when, like, Cassian, you know, if he starts on height and then, like, the Tauntauns have to go by him and they can't actually charge him. Usually pretty good in that circumstance if you play a crack shot and deliver, like, two big, big hits. Um usually really good. Unfortunately, you know, Cassian, I mean, he's got danger sense that helps him a little bit against, uh, against uh, Tauntaun shooting. Obviously better if you had K2. My list doesn't run K2. Anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. We could talk about, you know, Cassian versus Tauntauns another day. And just sniper Cassian generally versus versus pistol Cassian. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think in a world of, in a world of um, standby sharing clones, I think Sniper Cassian's where it's at. Do you normally put fish in kettles? Is that a thing? Uh, it's an expression. Okay. Oh, I was going to say Florida man puts fish in kettle. <laughs> uh, I mean, fish in I mean, a barrel. Is, thing, isn't the it? expression, that's a fine kettle of fish? I don't know. I've never heard it before. That's why I'm bringing it up. Either. Yeah, me either. It must be. It's. It's. It sounds extremely English. I probably picked it up somewhere. Okay. I mean, I. I don't doubt it. I just figured I'd ask because I've never heard that expression before. I think we just got an episode name. <laughs> That's a fine <laughs> kettle of fish. <laughs> I mean, right. like I've heard shooting fish in a barrel, but kettle's a new one. Yeah, um, I mean, usually you grill fish. I don't know. Maybe it's a transport mechanism, like you're catching a bunch of fish and you throw them in a kettle. We'll have to research oh, yeah. this before. Oh now. no, it's it's English. It's definitely English. Okay. It also be Scottish. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, <laughs> land this plane. Uh, we are the notorious scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David.
Another happy landing. <laughs> That's a fine kettle of fish. Crashing this plane with no survivors. 